You are listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders, for that moment in your career when the buck stops with you. This is your window into the world of how to lead successfully. Now, over to your host, James Nagel. My guest today is David Hall. So David has an interesting background. He has a PhD in combat aircraft design at Imperial College London, and then an MBA from Berkeley. He has held senior roles with Johnson & Johnson, Lego, and since the start of this year as Managing Director at Brita UK. So really looking forward to digging into his story a bit to find out about those sink and swim moments. So welcome, David. Thanks, James. Happy to chat again. David, we knew each other back 10 or plus years ago, but you came back on my radar uh, a few months ago when you started posting as you took over the role at Brita. So the first question is, what is a rocket scientist doing selling water? <laughs> I guess it's a, long, it's a long journey and a, a, a long story that maybe we'll dig into a few elements as we go through the podcast. But um, I think really I'm selling water now because I fell in love with the company and the purpose and the people that I sort of met through, through the process. But the journey is to how did I get to Britta? Well, it has a few sort of turns and uh, hoops that have been jumped through. Um, so there is a little bit of a thread from the sort of the engineering all the way through. So I think one of the things that, that I've always kind of prided myself on is an analytical capability and a background. And, you know, that's that's pretty obvious coming from engineering. But sort of over time, I've sort of developed a bit more interest around creativity and purpose and leading organisations. So it's been an interesting journey. And I, I commend you because you don't put doctor in your title, right? It was only when uh, I looked, at, I I only looked in your CV that I, that I saw the little PhD. So let's talk about Brita for a second. Um, is tap water getting worse? <laughs> That's a big question. Um, is, is it getting worse or is it getting better? I think if I sidestep the question, is it like historically, is it getting worse or not? I think it's becoming more and more important on people's radar. Um, and it's becoming more important on people's radar for a number of reasons. Um, the first one is around sustainability. So if we look back a few years ago, there was a big trend for people drinking fancy bottled water. Obviously, we've had um, a lot more intrigue and, and interest in single-use plastics, which has come along. And so, you know, tap water is a much more sustainable option than, than drinking from um, plastic bottles. Um, but then the other thing I think that's sort of very relevant at the moment is also sort of switching from the cost of buying expensive mineral waters and whatever and switching back to something like a, a filtered water proposition. So there's a couple of things there that, that very much are driving the market and the things that we're doing at the moment. So is, is tap water getting worse or getting better? I think if you travel around, you definitely taste differences depending on what's the supply and the hardness of that water. Um, but I think there's very much a sort of a trend for people to be um, moving back towards sort of tap water-based drinking solutions and away from uh, plastic bottles. Good. So we'll, we'll come back to Brita clearly because that's your, your current role. But let's go back a few steps. So you spent most of your career with multinationals mm -hmm. and that's, well, that's when I met you. Um, but the two most recent ones have been with family companies. So starting with Lego. What was the challenge when you went back in 2013, when you went there? What was the, the challenge you faced? Yeah, um, the challenge I faced personally, and I guess it was also the, the intrigue and the interest of going there. One was 
as a boy growing up, Lego would have been the dream company, right? To, to go work for. Um, Lego was the reason why I did engineering, or at least part of the reason why I did engineering sort of back all of those days. So had a certain position in my heart. Um, but, but the personal challenge that I faced there was um, I went in to lead the creative agency in EMEA. And not being somebody who's worked in a creative agency before, done developed creative solutions. Obviously, I've been a customer of that through some of the more general, general management roles that I did before. Um, the, the challenge for me was to adapt my leadership style to be leading a creative organization that was set up to drive growth for the commercial organizations through the advertising, the shopper solutions that we, that we generated. Um, and that for me was, for me was, it was a really interesting sort of intellectual and leadership challenge. Um, and when I sort of reflect on it, aside from the, oh my God, it's Lego, I'd love to go and do a job at Lego. One of the things that I've always been intrigued with and interested in is design, creativity. And it, again, it kind of probably goes back to the engineering days where engineering is like a, a blend between the analytics and the problem solving and then coming up with sort of creative solutions. And when you were on the client side working with creators, were you the type of client that agencies like to work with or were you like me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'd like to think I'm a much better client now than I was. I mean, one of the things that sort of that work taught me was to, to really trust in the experience of the people that you sort of basically paying to do a great job for you, right? Um, I think a, a lot of the time creative agencies get frustrated with clients, um, especially marketeer clients who who tend to think they know what they want, exactly what they want, they have a vision in their mind, you know, we want an ad to look exactly this way or a piece of work to look exactly how, how they're envisaging it. And um, the challenge for the creative teams there is, is basically what all they're doing is sort of painting by numbers because the sort of solution is kind of preformed. Whereas what the work with the, the agency teams that sort of showed me and then became even more apparent when I moved into the uh, brand role with Lego, where actually I was sort of back on the client side after working uh, on the agency side, was if you can if you can be super sharp with your brief, be really, really clear about what it is that you want to achieve, you want to achieve then you empower the creative teams to come with the great ideas. Your role is to sort of steer the ideas and make sure that they're linking back to what your, the problem was that you were trying to solve rather than as an amateur, try and solve the creative problem yourself and have somebody do the, do the work for you. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to test your own readiness for the hot seat, then take the leadership readiness scorecard. Details in the show notes and on swimnotsync.com. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you that a good brief is where it all starts. And totally. Yeah, you, usually that's a bit that, that, that people will fudge, you know. So that was, that was the challenge, setting up an in-house agency. Now, what did you bring to it? So I think the, the, the reason why I was hired by Lego at, the, at that stage was there was a bit of a disconnect between the creative side of the work and the commercial side of the work. So a bit of frustration internally. And I think a lot of in-house agencies sometimes sort of feel this tension between the commercial teams and the creative teams. And is everybody putting in the same direction? And sometimes the creative guys struggle to translate their work into commercial terms and the commercial guys struggle to understand how the creative work can actually help them out. Um, so what Lego really wanted was somebody with a general management background who could understand the commercial needs, but then had 
enough leadership nuance to be able to adapt and lead the team so that together we were creating the best solutions for the for the company yeah sounds sounds like a match made in heaven no <laughs> you have to ask where, the team where, that works with <laughs> oh where, where was the stretch you know yeah the big stretch for me was adapting leadership style um i think sort of leading a leading an organization where creativity and idea generation is at its heart is very different from leading a commercial organization where it's execution focused and it's all about efficiency. Um, that's not to say you can't drive efficiency and operational excellence in creative agencies. You absolutely can, but you need to give people space for ideas to flow. And you also have to be willing that some of the ideas that are generated might not necessarily be correct. But the, the whole process of um, having it sort of empowering the creatives to come up with different ideas and then help work with them to sort of filter them down into, into ultimate solutions is where I had to sort of really adapt. And I think probably the biggest part of that was really sort of learning to let go and not trying to control too much. Yeah, the famous trust the process. Yeah. 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 Now, what strikes me, because you were setting that up, what was your recruitment criteria? Because I can understand if you're recruiting a commercial guy, you know, you're, you're, you're going in with lots of biases, but it's an easy task. When you're recruiting on the creative side, was that, was that more challenging? Um, I, well, I think the first thing I'd say, James, is that I wasn't setting up an agency from scratch. We were sort of adapting and, 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 and changing it a little bit. I mean, I'll give you um, a very sort of practical example. We needed to, to hire a new creative director I've never hired a creative director before in my life. So I think first step was sort of trust your your general instincts and go with somebody who's got like a strong CV. They've worked in the right places. They've got the right experience. Um, and that gives you the confidence that they should be able to functionally do the job. But then the focus is really on um, what's the fit with the team? How's this person going to inspire and join other people? How are they going to... Um, you know, really work with the existing infrastructure and what are they going to bring that's new that's going to take us on to the next step. And, and that side of things is very similar to the commercial side. So there's a the functional bit, which, if I'm really honest, judging how, how creative a creative director is, is really not within my comfort zone. But understanding the individual and how they can help shape and, and drive the team, that's a lot more uh, the experience I had on the commercial side. Okay, great. So as I say, I knew you when you were at J&J, then you did uh, Lego. So then when you were moving on from Lego, what was your criteria? What was your due diligence? How did you know what you were looking for next? Yeah, well, I think after doing sort of six years at Lego working creative and brand, um, it was a really, really great fun time. But what I missed was sort of some of the commercial edge. Um, and I wanted to get back onto the, sort of something on the, on the commercial side. And general management's always been something that I've I've enjoyed and, and, and been interested in. So the first criteria was to try and find a general management style role. Second criteria for me was really find a general management role in an organisation I believed in that had a really strong sense of purpose. So you know, Brit has been great for that because of the the direction we're going, and you know, really truly doing something on the sustainability agenda rather than just talk about it or greenwashing or whatever, which a lot of organisations do get accused of. But then I think the third thing, and th and this was a reflection of the experience at Lego, um, I really found I enjoyed the culture of family-run companies. You know, there's a slightly different dynamic between sort of big US corporate and family-run. 
um, you know, both um, both this can be really successful organisations, but if you're working for the sort of the big corporate at the, at the behest of the stock market every quarter, it drives a slightly different dynamic in terms of short-term and long-term investment and development opportunities than a family-run organisation, which also has to make sure that it's profitable in the short term, it's delivering things, but there tends to be more focus on what is it we're doing over and beyond delivering some commercial benefit and um, what is the purpose that we've got and how are we balancing that sort of short and long-term investment horizon. Looking at your own leadership style taking over this role, what was it that you wanted to keep from your past? And what was it that you realized you didn't want to reapply? <laughs> Great question. Um, I think every role I've done, there's been an element of right, trying to riff on what made you successful but then not being so wedded to the past that you go and make the same mistakes that you made last time so i think in the transition from lego to brita one of the things that i really wanted to keep that i developed over lego is this kind of respect for diversity and diverse thinking and you really get that when you're working with a creative agency especially if you're a sort of very logical thinker and you're working with somebody who is perhaps a slightly less logical thinker but actually, if the two of you can come together, then you come up with a much better solution than you would do if, if everybody was exactly exactly the same as you. So one of the things I've tried to sort of keep and, and, and drive into the new team at Britta is really a focus on creativity, curiosity, driving the external um, environment into some of the decisions that, that, that we're really doing, but doing it from the perspective of asking ourselves, well, what? what if, you know, what could happen or how can we look at this problem in a slightly different way to come up with different solutions? So I think that's something that I've really taken from Lego to bring into Britta. But then what I've, what I've found, and, and it's quite interesting, sort of coming back six years later after doing a GM, GM role, going back into a GM role, is the, some of the things that I've built up or, or experienced with J&J &J and you, you probably did at the same time, James, through, through, through working with records. You know, the, at the end of the day, your success is down to what's the team you've got around you? Are they all lined up in the same direction? Does everyone believe in what you're doing? And does everyone understand the roles that they have to play? Then you as the GM is there to help and support these guys and nurture them and develop them and, uh, and, and drive forwards. Now, it's very early days in that process for me with this team. You know, I've only sort of been with them for four months, but that sort of falling back on the the core things that that, that really helped me at J and J has also been uh, really valuable. And if you think of the David that I would have met back in twenty ten versus you today, has your definition of success changed? Yeah, it has. I think I think it, it does for everybody, right? So you mature as an individual. The world changes around you. Um, for me, sort of the family growing up has become sort of more and more of an influence and, and thinking about, you know, it sounds class, but like the legacy that you lead and with the kids be proud of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. So if I think, you know, back to sort of 2010, I was probably more vertically ambitious within an organization. So it's like, oh, how can I get to the next job? And how can I sort of climb the, the ladder? Um, now I would say I'm much more focused on how can I help the people around me? Where do I get my sort of real energy from? And it is from helping people be successful, bringing together teams, creating and shaping teams that are better than the ones that, that, that perhaps I sort of first found. 
Yeah, the maturity that it's not just about the title. Titles sometimes are over are over uh, overrated. Yeah, yeah. I laugh when you said, you know, what will your kids be impressed with what you do? Do your kids genuinely know what you do? Sometimes it was probably easier at Lego because I saw ads on TV and they're like, "Oh yeah, Dad had a role to play in that." I'm like, "No, well, I didn't really. A load of other people did it, but at least they get to kind of see it." I remember back a few years ago and uh, the kids said, "So what do you do all day, Dad?" I've noticed that all you do is you just type on a keyboard. I'm like, it, it, it is funny how sometimes the kids make you think about these things because I'm like, well, actually, that is kind of functionally what I do. But really, what I should be doing is thinking about my impact on other people and not pounding away at the keyboard and like sending off the emails like do this do that it's around how do you influence people so sometimes out of the mouth of babes you get these little uh, trigger moments well to try and explain to a nine-year-old what a coaching is he doesn't <laughs> i mean even though he does sports you know what a professional coach does he doesn't get but he that daddy has a podcast is a big he talks to people yeah so following on from that where do you get your inspiration, new ideas? Are you do you listen to podcasts? Do you read, you know, the Harvard Business Review, or do you watch TV? Where do you sort of keep fresh? So I think for me, I do like, and it's probably not too surprising having like a fairly deep academic background. I do like to sort of read a lot. So you know, I read the FT. I absolutely love the Economist. Um, also, I think probably partly a legacy from sort of the time at Lego, I still stay quite in touch with a lot of the, the marketing press, the advertising world for new ideas and new things that kind of come up because, you know, that is all about coming up with new ideas. Um, you know, I was, I was reflecting on this actually before we, before we started the podcast. So those are kind of like the stimulus and the inputs. The other thing that's really important for me for coming up with ideas is spending time on myself by myself. And then, uh, God, I'm a typical middle-aged guy. I like riding bicycles for long distances and getting dressed up in micro. So that's a little bit embarrassing. But actually, sort of two to three hours out on the bike at, at a weekend is a little bit of me time where the head gets like completely cleared of anything else. And then you start to sort of all these different sort of stimuluses and inputs start to come together in ideas, which then can sometimes be helpful. And that's not to say that I spend all the time on the bike thinking about, oh my God, what am I going to do on Monday when I get back to work? But at the same time, I find that that time sort of taking myself out of the day-to-day pressures is super important for ideas and, and thinking about what to do. If, thinking back, are you the type of guy that sort of reads an article in the FT or whatever at the weekend and then sends it on to the team? Or do you do it just for your own... You know the old way there'd be the thing, read this and people think, oh, I have to come back, I have to come back with a proposal. What's your, which isn't, isn't necessarily wrong. Yeah, yeah. But what, what, what do you do with these ideas? It is easy. Or do you pass them through? Yeah, I, uh, I'm sniggering because this morning, of course, I've sent two articles to, it, to, <laughs> to the team on two different areas. I will read it. I, I will read and I will sort of try and develop things for, for, for myself because I think one of the important roles as a leader is to ask the right questions to people. It's not necessary to come up with the, the solutions and the reading and the insight generation and just staying connected with the outside world helps you ask the right questions, I believe, or, or at least reframe questions in a, in, in a different way. Um, but I do also like sort of sharing sharing stuff that I found interesting with people it's not that I'm expecting them to come back with, like, oh my God, if we can implement it this way and whatever. 
but it's more around stimulating that questioning, that curiosity, and oh, that could be interesting. And while it might not be directly relevant, something that's directly relevant for a problem that we're trying to solve today, but keeping a flow with sort of regular curiosity going into people, I think is super important, especially at the times that we're in at the moment where we have to be agile. And at the end of the day, agility comes down to sort of thinking slightly differently, coming up with creative solutions and not being afraid to, to listen to other people who might have a difference of opinion. Now let's get back to Brita. So you've been in there 90 days, more or less. Mm-hmm. How do you score your performance? Oh, I hate questions like that. Uh, probably sort of seven or eight out of 10. So, you know, one of the things I've been trying to do, be very mindful of, is seeking feedback. Um, it's so easily in leadership roles to sort of think, oh, I'm doing a brilliant job, and then actually you're not because you haven't asked the people around you who are the most important stakeholders in, in what you do every day, like, you know, how are you getting on, where could you change, what are you doing differently, and, and where are your blind spots? So, I mean, so far I've had some feedback from uh, my line leader, the rest of the team around the sort of the impact and the, and the things that we're starting to do together. Um, I would say if there's sort of one, frustration is probably not the right word, but sort of one thing that I would wish I probably have done better is, is trying to get an understanding of the culture of the organization much faster. Um, I made probably too many assumptions right at the beginning around the culture based on previous cultures. Uh, and I guess that's a fairly common mistake that most people do when they're sort of changing roles is you're, you're drawing on your experience, trying to sort of create stories that of what you're seeing fits like your your previous experience and then how you should operate. And I probably made too many assumptions on on how the culture and how the sort of the business actually sort of operates. And in a in a family driven company, that's probably even more important than it is in a um, in, in a public company. Well look I wouldn't beat beat yourself up too much about culture because of course that is the hardest thing. Totally. It always take it always takes longer. I was talking to somebody this morning and she was saying she's trying to find her place and she said, I used to work for Proctor. It was processes were clear. I used to work for Reckitt. Entrepreneurship was clear. And she's struggling to see what's clear in this new place. It's got neither of the other strengths and, and and that's a big challenge for her to adapt to and to accept and to decide what she wants to do with it. What's the culture at Brita? It's very collaborative. It's very supportive. Um, I would say it's, uh, it's also very focused on the purpose of the organization. So, you know, as I was sort of mentioning right at the outset, this idea around the company is here not only to be sort of commercially successful, but also to do good in, on the sustainability agenda is, is really, really important. And people sort of very much believe in that. From your experience, what are the typical challenges people have when taking over new roles? There's the obvious one I've referenced just, just a little bit earlier, which is, which is making too many assumptions based on previous experience and observations that you were making in the early days. Because we all want to find that those those points of familiarity that link back to what made us successful in the past. I, th- I think that's one thing. Um, something else, and I know some people perhaps would disagree with this, and it, and it depends on the context within which you're 
you're actually going to the leadership position is putting too much pressure on yourself to to make changes too quickly too quickly because it sort of links back to the the making too many assumptions about what really truly needs to change and what uh, and what doesn't um but that is very sort of context specific right it depends whether you're sort of inheriting an organization it's there for a few tweaks and to shape and develop or whether it's something that needs like a complete and utter reset um I think the other the other thing, and and this is something that I sometimes struggle with as an individual, is just being super confident about what it is that you're doing, right? You know, having that inner confidence that you're going to make the right calls, you're going to make some wrong calls as well. But if you do make some wrong calls, then you can tweak and change and uh, and adapt it. There's always, or certainly I always feel that in the early days, you want to get all of the big stuff right. Because people are looking at you, not only the people that you're working with, but the rest of the organization, mm-hmm. people from above. You know, you're in the spotlight, this new person coming in. Wow, like, look at all this wonderful new stuff that they're bringing in. But actually, I think in, in the in the Britta case, I've really tried to, to sort of hold back from making too many sweeping assumptions and changes too quickly. And then sort of adapt the changes to how we need to shape the culture and how we need to drive longer term change. Yeah, and, and just building on your point on confidence, it's why I always ask when I'm working with clients, I always get their manager to verbalize why they're the right person for the job. Because through the interview process, that's rarely communicated, yeah. right? So yeah. oh, you, the only reason you might um, command, compliment somebody is when you really need an external hire and you really want to get them on board, you tell. But otherwise, it's always very understated. And that simple question of why, you know, uh, why have you been chosen? Because when you have, when you've heard that answer, Hopefully that will give you the confidence. At least you've got a runway in which to in which to operate, and then you can be judged judged on that. But given this is a, a swim not sink podcast, and you've referenced culture, how can people joining new companies understand the culture they're going into faster? And you've done it a few times. I might not have it completely. Um button down myself but I'll, I'll sort of share with you what I do and that seems to sort of work in some ways I think the very first one is you can't shy away from talking to people I know, I know that sounds really crass but culture is and, and an organisation itself is a collective, it's a social collective right? it might be sort of focused on financial aims or whatever but it's a social collective so you've got to talk to people and the more people you can talk to I think the better understanding that you, you, you can get and the better feeling you can get for how decisions are made, what's really important to people. And you can ask sort of big, sort of simple open questions. Like literally just the stuff that I, I just talked about, like so how do we make a decision here? And you'll get like probably three or four different answers and you can sort of pick and choose sort of from that and conclude what you want. You know, uh, another thing would be, you know, what makes people feel good for working for this organization and it helps you start to uncover what are some of the values because it's not a million it's not unheard of that the values that are put on the website and the values that are actually sort of driven in the organization perhaps aren't as coherent as they uh, as they should be so i think it's that that process of really being open and talking to people is so so important and um i learned that sort of early on in my career from Somebody who is uh, actually a lecturer at business school, and he says that's the very first thing you should always do on the going into 
going into a new role is do not go and sit in the office. Do not go and test out the chair. Don't go and check the IT equipment. Just go out there into the canteen and have a chat with people. I was like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So I tried to sort of embrace that one. I suppose that's once you've accepted the position. The other one, which is obviously harder, is when you're considering a yeah. role because you don't you don't necessarily have access. But ju- just to close off on culture, because you have intrigued me on that one, I heard a great definition recently from an old friend of mine, and he said, "Culture is if competition were looking at your company, what would they like to to steal from you? What is it that's so great about you?" So, thinking of any company you've worked for, what what would that cultural element be that you've seen at its strongest at its strongest i'd say and, and this is sort of parallels with lego and britain it is having that strong sense of purpose, of purpose. Mm-hmm. so we're here to do something which goes over and beyond delivering a commercial return being financially successful going home at the end of the day with like a good salary and a bonus and all that stuff and the reason why I say sort of Lego and Britta are quite similar in that way, you know, Lego's focus is very much on doing what's right for, for children to inspire and develop the kids around the world. For Britta, it's about this, this focus on we're doing the right thing to help with the world of single-use plastics. And that's a really, really powerful rallying cry that sits at the heart of the culture, which then sort of permeates out. Now, that purpose doesn't necessarily also drive to how the decisions get made and that and those sort of cultural aspects. But I think having that sort of strong, we're all in this together, is so, so important for, for a strong culture. So, David, we'll, we'll end on that note. Thanks a lot for your time. That was really great. That's awesome. It's great to reconnect, James. You've been listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast. Subscribe at swimnotsink.com forward slash podcast.